Did everybody do their homework? Malcolm, I know uh, Dave did, right? So we got two. That's okay. We'll read it again. There will be no review of where we've come from. We don't have time for review. If you weren't here for the other two, I think they might have taped them. Do they? Is that correct? So you can get those to catch up, and we have the listing of the scripture of where we came from. We left off. Uh, we've done the framework of the tribulation, and now we're going to fill in some of the details. And one of the most important details of this time involve the people identified in symbolism in chapter 13. So I'm going to read chapter 13 of Revelation, and then we'll talk about that. And the dragon stood on the sand of the seashore. Then I saw a beast coming up out of the sea, having ten horns and seven heads, and on his horns were ten diadems, and on his heads were blasphemous names. And the beast which I saw was like a leopard, and his feet were like those of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him, pow gave him his power and his throne and great authority. I saw one of his heads as if it had been slain, and his fatal wound was healed. And the whole world was amazed and followed after the beast. They worshipped the dragon because he gave authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? And who is able to wage war with him? There was given to him a mouth speaking arrogant words and blasphemies, and authority to act for 42 months was given to him. And he opened his mouth in blasphemies against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle, that is, those who dwell in heaven. It was also given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation was given to him. All who dwell on the earth will worship him. Everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who has been slain. If anyone has a, an ear, let him hear. If anyone is destined for captivity, to captivity he goes. If anyone kills with a sword, with a sword he must be killed. Here is the perseverance and the faith of the saints. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke as a dragon. He exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence, and he makes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose fatal wound was healed. He performs great signs so that even he even makes fire come down out of heaven to the earth in the presence of men. And it is, he deceives those who dwell on the earth because of the signs which it was given him to perform in the presence of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who had the wound of the sword and has come to life. And it was given to him to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast would even speak and cause as many as do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. And he causes all, the small and the great, and the rich and the poor, and the free men and the slaves to be given a mark on his right hand, on his right hand or on their forehead. And he provides that no one will be able to buy or to sell except the one who has the mark, either the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast. For the number is that of a man, and his number is 666. So the reason we start with chapter 13 is because it is clearly the most comprehensive narrative that we have about the Antichrist and the false prophet. In this symbolism, there are two beasts. One of them is the Antichrist, one of them is the false prophet, and as we saw before, the dragon is Satan. 
So they get their authority from Satan. The things that we, we learn, specific details, we'll just highlight them real quick. It's mentioned numerous times that the, the beast, the Antichrist, has a fatal wound that's healed. So he is somebody who is able to show the world that he raised from the dead. He is a liar and a deceiver, and also he doesn't come up with his own stuff. Okay, That's been done before, right? But it's been done in reality and for real by Jesus Christ. So to, to deceive the world, he will amaze the world with this somehow seemingly coming back from the dead. The details of that we don't know. Verse 7 says he makes war with the saints to overcome them. He does go after uh, believers, and he goes after them viciously. Uh, verse 8 says all the people on the earth will worship him except those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. So if you don't worship him, pretty much you die. He kills you. Then there's the second beast in verses 11 and 12. The second beast makes people worship the first beast. This is what's known as the false prophet. He does great signs and wonders, verse 13. Fire comes from heaven. He does things to show people that this Antichrist is to be worshipped. He's his promoter, as it were. He tells the earth to make an image of the first beast and makes the image come alive, and then this thing can kill people. So he creates this, you know, some have called it a statue. We don't really know how big it is or what it is, but it's going to do some things that are going to amaze the world. And then, as Satan is often wont to do, he kills people with it, because that's what he's good at. Now, the, the final point that we've heard about and read about and movies have been made about is the mark of the beast. Somehow there will be some identification that you're required to take to uh, show allegiance to this person, and if you don't do it, you're not going to be able to transact business anymore. And books have been written and theories have been expounded on chips and things, and we have the technology now that clearly could do that, but, but the, the point is it's not just an economic mark. It's a mark of loyalty. It is a mark of allegiance. When you take this mark, you will not be, people at the, alive at the time, will not be doing it thinking, oh, wow, I need this to go to Publix. They're going to know that it is allegiance to the beast. Okay, that, that's the key point. And then they'll be able to buy or sell. Let's look at a confirming scripture because we can look at one of the things Paul wrote in 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 12, gives us some more insight into this person and some of the details around them. So let's take a look. 2 Thessalonians 2. And I'll go ahead and read that. It's Paul speaking to the church in Thessalonica. Now we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, that you not be quickly shaken from your composure, or be disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter, as if from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. Stop there for a minute. We've heard about that before, right? It's the abomination of desolation. He takes his seat in the temple and says, I'm it. We know that event. It's in the middle of the tribulation. 
So now we're seeing it again. Do you not remember that while I was still with you, I was telling you these things? And you know what restrains him now, so that in his time he will be revealed. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. That is, the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders, and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. For this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false in order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. Same person, the man of lawlessness, the beast, the man of lawlessness, and back in Daniel, the prince who is to come, right? So we're seeing this tie together throughout scripture. Note why he was doing this. Why did Paul have to tell them this at this moment? It's because of an age-old deception. Okay, what did he say the people were afraid of? Someone told you the day of the Lord has already happened, right? That lie is being told today, all right? You'll hear in the church, or the so-called church, people that say, all of these things occurred by 70 A.D. Jesus is, you know, the judgment occurred and is done. Okay? Or a millennialist who say, we're in the millennium. It's not really a thousand years, and it's now. How's that working out for you? Not too good. Well, the point I want to make is, this lie that is continued to be told throughout centuries started here. It's not new. They will tell you our idea is new about literal interpretation of scripture. Oh no, they're both old. The lie is old and the truth is old. So he was responding to that very lie. And I think it's important to understand he was telling them, no, 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 these things must happen. The man of lawlessness must, must be revealed and then the end can come. So they were afraid that they had missed the other event, the gathering together, which they also knew had to happen before was the rapture. So he was alleviating a lie that had been told to this church. Finally, Revelation 19. Just so you know how it ends, Revelation 19, 19 through 20. This is at the end of the tribulation when Christ has come back to defeat his enemies. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies assembled, assembled to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was seized and with him the false prophet who performed the signs in his presence by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and whose, those who worshiped his image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire which burns with brimstone. And the rest were killed with the sword, which came from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. This is the end of the Battle of Armageddon. We're going to circle back and talk a little bit about that. But the point is, this is the end of the Antichrist and the false prophet. They get to go to their final place, and they're there by themselves for a good bit of time. They're in the lake of fire. So 
we, we sort of see where he starts, what he does, how he ends, right? And all of this fits within that seven-year period. We're just in that time, and you saw he can make war against the saints for how many months? 42. We're back to that time. It's the last half of the seven-year tribulation period, made abundantly clear. Now, some other details. The tribulation, uh, a lot goes on at the same time. The Antichrist and his war against the saints and against trying to attack the Jews, who we know are protected, right? We've already learned that they get protected in the wilderness. So he goes after anyone he can find. But there's a whole other series of things going on, and these are the judgments. They start with the impetus of man. Very soon, they become through the power of God. And we're going to see through a summary. I'm not going to read all these verses. I have them on my list. But I'm going to go through, just so you can see, an overview of what happens during the tribulation in terms of the actual judgments. And they're not all in one place. You do have to dig for them. Because intermittent things are shown to us like these, these symbols of the Antichrist and as we learned about Israel. But if you start in Revelation 6, 1 through 2, you're familiar with this. This is the, the four horses. The white horse, the red horse, okay, the pale horse, and so on. What happens here is the first seal is broken, and we all know the seal. John wanted to know who could open the seal, and only the lamb was worthy. Well, that seal opened up a scroll. Inside it are all these judgments. They're unfolding. The future is now unfolding. The first seal is broken, uh, verses 1 and 2 of chapter 6. It's a white horse. It's believed that that represents, it says conquering, the ability to conquer and cause uh, yourself to gain power. But it's, it's with, a, with a bow but no arrows. So the belief is that this is done through negotiation, and we know that there's a covenant. We've learned about that. So at the very beginning of the tribulation, there's a false peace. And we know that he does some amazing things to bring the world together, or apparently would do so. Now we go to verses 3 and 4, a red horse. War begins. People start to get killed. All right? It's changing. And he's pretty much responsible for the killing. It's killing with the sword. The next seal, verses 5 and 6, famine. Many times when you have massive war, it's natural. You get famines. People can't get food. But that's the next thing that happens, famine. The fourth seal. Then there's massive death by sword, famine, disease, and wild beasts, and a fourth of the people on the earth die. That's pretty bad. Okay? This is the beginning of the tribulation. A fourth of the earth's population is dead. All right? And we're just starting. So you can see how bad this is. This is pretty much through man's efforts. Something now changes. The fifth seal represents the cry of the martyrs in heaven. They're asking for the avenging of their blood, which was caused by the Antichrist's murdering of them. Then the sixth seal, sixth seal verses 12 through 17. Let's take a look at that because it marks a change. So we're in chapter 6. Verses 12 through 17. And I looked, and he broke the sixth seal. 
and there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth, made of hair, and the whole moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth, as a fig tree cast its unripe figs when shaken by a great wind. The sky was split, a sp uh, split apart like a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island were moved out of their place. Then the kings of the earth and the great men, the commanders and the rich and the strong, and every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, Fall on us, hide us from the presence of him who sits on the front throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of the wrath has come, and who is able to stand? Well, now they recognize who's responsible. They see that it is the wrath of the Lamb. Something interesting I noticed in here, uh, just a sidelight, that we can't always get our doctrine from songs, even really, really good ones. Okay? One of my favorite uh, songs that we sing, It Is Well With My Soul. Take a look at page 393 of your hymnal for a minute. I want to show you something. Okay? Again, I love this song, and I'm, you know, it's going to be one of my favorites no matter what. But if you read this, something's a little confusing here. And Lord, the last verse, And Lord haste the day when the faith shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound, and the Lord shall descend. Really? That's really not what happens. That's not true. Okay? The earth, the sky being rolled like a scroll, we just read it. Jesus is not descending, okay? That's not happening here, okay? So my point is, sometimes we read stuff or hear stuff and we jumble it in our heads. That's really not where the scroll thing goes on. It's when the, 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 the sixth seal happens and something happens to the sky that's amazing. But this is the very beginning of the tribulation. Clearly, it's not the rapture. And it's not the return of Christ when he comes down at Armageddon, right? So, little tidbit. You know. Got to be careful when you're reading what men write. So now we go to the seventh seal, chapter 8. That's in chapter 8. We move ahead because we had an interlude. We were introduced in chapter 7 to the 144,000. It's kind of put in there. They exist throughout the tribulation, but... We're going to keep going with the seals to keep the uh, chronology. Silence in heaven for a half an hour. Then we go with the trumpets. Trumpet one, a third of the earth, trees, grass are burned. Trumpet two, a third of the sea becomes blood, a third of the sea creatures die, a third of the ships destroyed. Trumpet three, a third of the fresh water is poisoned. Trumpet four, a third of the sun, a third of the moon, a third of the stars are darkened. I don't know how he does that. Somehow, the light is reduced by a third. Fifth trumpet. Stinging locusts attack men who want to die but can't. This one sounds particularly annoying. I was wondering if maybe we, you know, one of our gospel charts, stinging locusts will attack you and you'll want to die but you can't. No? No? Malcolm says no. How about the next one? The four, four angels are going to kill a third of mankind. No? You don't want to put that up either. Yeah. Sixth trumpet, four angels kill a third of mankind, and they have a 200 million something army. There's theories that this is, could be men, and they've said China because they have that many people. Others believe these are just angels. These are demons with the armies of, of these four angels. Uh, not clear, but 
what is clear is a third of mankind is dead. Now, we get to the, the worst part. The seventh trumpet, this is chapter 11, verse 15, it's introduced, and we go to the seven bowls, the final wrath of God. Chapter 16 is where they're actually laid out, because a lot of other things are discussed in the middle. And we'll go through quickly, verse 2, loathsome sores. Verse 3 of chapter 16, the entire sea is now blood. Okay? It started getting there, now it's done. All fresh water is blood. You pretty much realize that you couldn't live much longer anyway. So we are getting to the end. Intense heat, verse 8. Verse 10, darkness and pain. Verses 12 through 15, the Euphrates River dries up. And also, if you look in, in those, uh, that section of chapter 11, something else occurs, getting the world ready for the return of Christ. Take a look at 12 through 17. I'm sorry, chapter 16. Not, I was looking at the wrong reference. Chapter 16, it says, and it says in verse 8, 16, and they gathered them together to the place which is in Hebrew called Har-Mageddon, which that's the, the ancient city of Megiddo. I've been there. It's a big city on, built up on many levels because over history they just they create these tells, they call them. Well, if you look out and you stand on top, there's just this massive plain called the Jezreel Valley. You can't see the end of it. It's huge, okay? And that's the place. So, you know, I was like, this is where it's all going to happen. You know, you stand there and you're just like, it's, it shakes you up because you, you know it's going to happen there. We read it in advance. So they're all gathering there. And then if we fast forward now to chapter 19, we see Christ's return. They're all gathered at this place, the armies of the earth. Uh, verse 11, chapter 19, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called Faithful and True, and in his righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he, ha diadems, and he has a name written on him, which no one knows except himself. I've heard people ask, what's that name? No one knows. <laughs> he is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he had a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried out with a loud voice, saying to all the birds which fly in midheaven, Come, assemble for the great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings, and the flesh of commanders, and the flesh of mighty men, and the flesh of horses, and those who sit on them, and the flesh of all men, both free men and slaves, and great. And then we read the next part, which is the Antichrist and the false prophet are thrown into the lake of fire. So, Christ has returned. He kills everybody with the sword of his mouth. Now, I don't, I don't know that he needs to have a sword coming out of his mouth. He just slays everybody. They're, they're all dead, it says. So who's left? Who's left? Anybody? 
True. That's true. Anybody else? What? They're left? What did we learn about Israel? Where are they? Where are they? That's where they are. Those one-third believing Israel, they're still here. They're not killed because they believed and they were protected. They're still here after Christ returns and Armageddon. And what are they waiting for? It's time. It's time for the thousand years. So if you go to Revelation 21 through 7, you see what's next. That I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. And, and he laid hold of the dragon. We know the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil, and Satan, if there was any confusion about that and bound him for a thousand years, and he threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him so that he would not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were completed. And after these things, he must be released for a short time. Then I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God and those who had worshipped the beast, who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received the mark on their forehead and on their hand, and they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years, along with us, okay? We are also reigning with Christ for a thousand years. We're told that throughout the New Testament. The rest of the dead, the ones that were killed that didn't believe, did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. So the first resurrection, it says, this is the first resurrection, meaning the ones who came to life with Christ and reigned. Blessed and holy is the one who has part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign for him, reign with him for a thousand years. Then we see, following forward in Revelation 20, there's one final satanic rebellion at the end of the millennium. Then there's the great white throne judgment in Revelation 20, 11 through 15. That's the judgment of all unbelieving. And Revelation 21, finally, the new heaven, the new earth, the new Jerusalem, no more sin. Sin is finally done. And at that point, at the end of the thousand years, Satan, all unbelievers, and death are thrown into the lake of fire. And we have eternity. For your own uh, review... Uh, there are a few other things that you might want to look at because, as in, there's a multitasking going on here during the tribulation. There's a lot happening. If you want to know about the 144,000, you look at Revelation 7, 4 through 8, Revelation 14, 1 through 5. This describes the witnesses, the 12,000 from each tribe that will be actual gospel witnesses. And then there's two special witnesses in Revelation 11 that prophesy for 1260 days. We know what that is. It's the second half of the tribulation. We also see throughout, there's killing of believers. It happens throughout the tribulation. Revelation 6, 12, 20, and 7. And one of my favorites, I'll close with this. Uh, take a look at Revelation 14, 6. This is a special event that happens right before the worst of the worst, which are the bold judgments. Chapter 14, verse 6. And I saw another angel flying in mid-heaven, having an eternal gospel, to preach to those who live on the earth, 
and to every nation and every tribe and every tongue and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and springs of waters. This, uh, it says he's preaching an eternal gospel. One of the things that we, we all know, and it's documented uh, by Christ in Matthew 24, 14, he said that this gospel will be preached to the whole world and then the end will come, right? We're very familiar with that. And what we're always told is it's our job, right? You got to get out there and you got to go to every corner of the earth. And in, until you do, right, until you do your job, okay, Jesus, you just can't come back, right? Well, really? I mean, first of all, does that really make sense that, you know, it's up to us to bring him back? No, we're to give the gospel because we're commanded to. But if you want to look at the literal interpretation, what happens right before the end? Right before the end, an angel flies around the whole earth giving the gospel to every man. Right? I think that's the interpretation that makes the most sense to me as to how that, that happens. But, you know, it's something that, you know, you don't hear a lot. And I think it's just interesting. And finally, the one other thing that you'll see if you look at Revelation 17, 18, and 19, 1 through 5, is judgment on the world system. It's referred to as Babylon. The whole economic system of the world that men rely on and love and, and seek after, there's also during the tribulation God's judgment on it all. And it's referred to as Babylon and that system. So you can read that and see how that's also judged at the same time all these other events are going on. Four minutes over. It's pretty good, huh? Any questions? Yes. Say that again? I didn't hear it. Okay. They represent the very beginning of the tribulation and certain events. And it, 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 it's not like that the, per, the person is on a horse and riding. What it's saying is the first event represents conquering, and a, a, a white horse represents a form of conquering without war. In other words, uh, like if you go to Daniel and we see that the Antichrist makes a covenant, it ties to a, a peace through agreement, okay? The next thing that happens, a red horse, and it signifies death starts to happen, and it says that. So the horses, and then you have the pale horse, which is famine, right? And then the black horse, uh, which is everything all together. So it's, 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 it builds on itself, but it's re reflective of the things that are happening on the earth. No, that's a different white horse. That's not the same white horse. That, that's the, the white horse there is Jesus is riding on a white horse, not even the same. These are symbols reflective of events at the beginning of the tribulation. Right. No, the church is not here. What is? Right. Right. He doesn't. And, and here's the thing about Satan, okay? You know, you could sit there and say, why is he doing what he's doing? 
Okay? Because it says we read that he, there's a place where he knows he has a short time when he's thrown down. What do you mean you have a short time? You believe this stuff? Short time for what? Aren't you going to fix it all for yourself? He's, he knows what God says, but I really think he thinks he can change it. Otherwise, it would make no sense for him to do what he does. He thinks he, his pride, which was why he fell in the first place, is so mag, you know, magnificent that he thinks he can really change this. But yet, he reads it and also knows that his time is short. So, you know, I'm not sure he fully, fully believes it. But I, no, I didn't say it had any. No, 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 no. I didn't say it doesn't have any significance. I just don't think anyone knows it yet. Like we, we've heard all the speculation. It, it, it ties to his name. It's somehow tied to his name. But, uh, I don't know. But it says, let him calculate. Like, it, it implies that there's something that can be done to figure it out. It's not, it's, it's a little different than just saying it's enigmatic of man. But, you know, the, the problem is we don't know yet. And it's okay. I mean, we don't really need to know. I mean, the people that need to know are the ones that are going to be there then. And that, that's the thing. The, the more you know about this and the more you're able to confidently communicate it to people that start to ask these questions uh, that they're not going to care about what happened in the Old Testament they're going to want to know what's going to happen to them they really are so I think it's good to know and then you you study it you know you'll learn as you go along let's uh, pray